I want to kick off this year, and this is kind of a three-part series or, or sermon. Really, this is one sermon. It's just going to be so long, it's going to take three weeks. That's really what this is. This is a really, really long sermon that, that I need to preach. Uh, and so we'll bust it up into three different categories as we walk through Discover Church. Look at the person beside you and, and ask them, have you truly discovered church? It, it, many times we, we think, well, I've been in church all my life, and I can say that. I, I've been in church nine months before I was born. I, I've, I've, I've been in church all my life. And the crazy thing is, when people walk up and they act like, well, I know about church, I, I look at them and I'm like, I'm still learning. There's a lot of things I'm still trying to figure out every single week and every single day. And, and, and even this new season that God's got me in going into next, it, it, it has totally got me back on buttermilk and, 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 and everything else because it's, it's this mindset of, Tim, let me peel back a little more. Let me show you a little more. Let me show you what can be. It's to say it this way, if I took you to a church this morning that that ran 50 people, that had 50 people. I've been there, 50 people. And, and, and I, I took you in, we sat down. You know what they'll tell you? We are having church. We, we are doing church. Now, if I take those 50 people and bring them into here or take them into a large church and, and they start like, wow, this is what you could do. This is what you can be. This is, man, we never thought about these classes. We never thought about doing that. We never thought about having... You, you, you are constantly growing in church. But our mindset many times is, is like the two guys that are arguing church, and, and they were discussing a doctrine and, 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 and got into a heated argument, and, and that's kind of a lot of times what people think of church when people are discussing or talking, they're arguing, and they're talking about this group or that group. And finally, they just settled it by this, and the guy just looked at him and said, I tell you what, he said, you just do what you think is right. And I'll just do what God says is right. And we'll call it quits. And many times in life, that's kind of how the church talks. If I was to carry you down the road, they would say, you just do what you're doing down there. We're going to do what God's told us to do. So the goal in life is, is to create a larger understanding of church. And that's what I want to do today. Our first part of this is to believe in church. To discover church the first thing I need you to be able to do is believe in church. You think, well, that's pretty simple. No, I can carry you to Walmart this morning, and there's going to be a bunch of people that if I push my buggy down the aisle and I know them, they're going to say, Pastor, I was planning on coming to church today. I know I should. I'm, I promise next week I'm going to be back. I, I, we done talked to my wife. We done said this year's going to be different. We're going. There's not as many people as you think that believe church is going to make a difference. How do you know, Pastor? Well, even for some of you that's here, you didn't go to bed at 10 o'clock last night. You didn't know that, hey, I need as much rest as possible because the most important thing that will ever be spoken in my whole week will happen this morning. No, you just stayed up as late as you could, tried to get here, hoped to stay awake, got your coffee to keep you awake, and it's like, why? Because you really and truly don't believe that church can really change everything about your life. Now, I'm not going to keep digging on you or me. I'm just letting you know that we don't believe as much as we say we do many times. 
We didn't come here driving this morning, playing gospel music, praying and asking God, God, I know you've got a great word for me. God, I know you've got something for me today. And I've been getting ready for this and I can't. No, we probably were just like, man, it's been a long week. So discovering church, the first thing is, is to first realize, what do I believe about church? What is it that I believe? Well, the very word church, we understand, just, just principally, the word actually means to gather. The called out ones is many times what you'll hear people say. The called out ones. So to gather together, to called out, to, to come together. That's, that's what church means. And many times throughout the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 16 and 1, we, we read, and, and we don't have to go there, but just the fact that Paul is, is describing this church in Galatia, and he talks about a group of churches. So he says the church. He, he may mean a group of, of churches when he talks about the church. In, in Romans 16 and 5, another time they're talking about the church, it's talking about a local assembly. He's talking about Priscilla and Aquila, and, and, and he says that also the church that meets in their house. So this, where two or three are gathered, where a small group can be a church. It's just a gathering. A church is just a gathering of people. And it's, it's, it also can be Colossians 1 and 18, as we know, and, and think of it more uh, broadly, we think of it universally, the church is the description of the whole body of believers, whether they're in heaven, earth, the, the, the church. And it's described this way. It says, Christ is the head of the body, the church. So when we talk about the church, if you're part of the church, we need to understand that it can mean several different things. But how is it described or how is the essence of the church broke down? Now, I know I'm, give me just a second to break this down before we jump into scripture. So when we talk about the essence of church, from the 16th century, we moved away from the Roman Catholic church and Protestant and everything else began. And, and what that big change was, was this. It was that the essence of church is as much invisible as it is visible. See, up until that time, everything was visible. You had to go to the priest. You had to have your sins forgiven by him. It had to be a physical. That's why a lot of the stuff that's done in the Roman Catholic and different things is visible. It's all visible acts because to them, a large part of the church is a visible representation of God. What happened in the Protestant Reformation through Luther and others is that they came along and said, no, no, no. You can by faith believe and grace, and we just say it like that, and we, we think that's what they're talking about, but they were meaning something a lot deeper than just the fact that you're saved by grace. They were meaning that an invisible God could have an invisible relationship with you, and I don't need anybody else to make it happen. That all of a sudden, there is an invisible side of this church. That the church, you don't even know and see that people can be saved. And so all of a sudden, you had this church that emerged, this, this explosion, because now we dealt with an invisible church as much as a visible church church. So the church then becomes described. It can be described in multiple ways. It can be described as a militant group. We're told to fight against powers and principalities. They're not physically. So understand that even though there's a physical side of us fighting in prayer, fighting in fasting, fighting in where people can see it, there is also an invisible side of the church that is fighting principalities and powers. So when somebody asks you, what's going on? 
man, I don't know. I just, it's just a lot, a lot of prayer, a lot of, a lot of things you can't describe, a lot of things you can't see. This is the operation of the church. Now, the world quickly looks at all this and says, that's just, that's just a bunch of junk. I mean, that's just stuff in your head. That's just stuff passed down through history. That, that's, just, that's just stuff that's been built into your, your DNA through eons of, of evolution and, and the fact that you have this fear of God or you have all this. No, no. It is the fact that we have chose to believe. It not only describes us as militant, but also triumphant in it. The same way we talk about fighting and carrying the sword of the Spirit, we also tell the world that one day we're going to lay down our sword and pick up our crown. It's invisible, but yet visible. The church is also visible and invisible in its very action. What happens between you and God is an invisible, but what happens openly, whether you're preaching, whether you're living your life, whether you, you, you live by certain doctrines, whether you live, that is an open, visible act of worship and serving God. And it represents the church. That's why when you say, we, I want to join that church, there are visible actions, there are physical actions that are required along with the spiritual if you've been in our teachings on, on the eight weeks, part of it is spiritual. Salvation is spiritual. And then living holy is physical. To outwardly live what God is doing inwardly. They work together. So let me see if I can describe this by definition of the church. In one sense, you can write this down. The invisible church that we're talking about may be defined as a company of the elect or the saved who are called by the Spirit of God or simply the communion of Christians or the communion as it would be written, the saints. Got it? No, but you're going to. Told you I got to dig this. It is the invisible church is by the Spirit we have been brought into a family and now we are a family communed and called saints together. That's why we could all walk into this room. That's why we could all just shake hands and hug necks while the world is chaotic, while the world is, is, is stuck on racism and this and, and, and that and everything else and, and where you come from and immigration and everything else. We walk into this room and we have communion. And the world says, we need to pass some laws to make people act like good to each other. And I'm like, you can't do it. It can't be done in a physical way. It is a spiritual element that only the church can provide. There's only the church setting that can take people out of whatever it is they were and put them into a totally different culture. When people say multicultural churches, I'm like, there is no such thing. No, no, I, wrote, I read a book on it. I don't care who wrote it, they lied. There's no such thing as a multicultural church. Now, you can have a multi-ethnicity, you can have a multi-ethnical church. 
We can have different backgrounds. We can be from, from Hispanic to, to, to whatever you, you claim where you've been from or where from or whatever it is you eat on Sundays. And your ethnicity and the culture that you used to be in could have provided you with a mindset, could have provided you with your music, could have provided you, and all of that's good. But listen to me. The moment that I come to Christ, I lay down all of what I used to be. If I carry you to a graveyard and dig up everybody's grave and you look at the bones, can you tell me which bones were black people, white people, Hispanic people? What's the only thing you know? They dead. They all dead. When you come to Christ, truly come to Christ and become part of the church, the invisible church, you become part of the communion of the invisible but visible to the world. It's invisible because how can that happen? It's a mystery. How God can take me from my background and my past and and put me in a room with people from different backgrounds and past and say, you know what? We're changing all of your culture. Now you're neither Greek nor Jew nor male nor female nor this nor that nor up nor down. But now you are part of the family and the body of Christ. And now you are the body and Christ is the head and you all are attached together. You all have the same blood flowing through you. That is the blood of Calvary and it saved you and brought you out of what you were and has put you into what you are. There's only one culture. It's Jesus. And so understanding that, that is the invisible, but the visible church, that's a broader concept. It involves us being stewards of heaven's kingdom on earth. So what what becomes easy for people is, is they will say, Brother Lot, I... What? Believe. I believe. Well, what do you mean you believe? Do you believe in the invisible church? That just means that me and God got our thing, and really I'm not, I'm not have to go to church. I don't have to be connected. I don't have to. Are, are you part of the invisible church where, where it's just like God understands me and God gets me and, and, and he's my homeboy and, and whatever else you got in your mind and created in your mind that, that God and your relationship is? Is that what you call believing? Or is it the physical church to where I, when I say, Brother Lot, I believe, I believe that I am a steward of heaven's kingdom on earth. See, the thing is, the more you read the Bible, the more you will understand that that's what God is intending. He says things like this, If you are ashamed of me on this earth then I will be ashamed of you before my Father. That don't sound invisible. When it talks about our lives and what we are to do and how we are to live, well, Brother Lot, then how do we do that? Well, God has given us the church. To make this happen, God has given us the church. Now, let me explain it this way. I want to show you the church in different eras to explain who we are. All right. So the first church that was ever created, 
In fact, the very first message that was ever preached was preached in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we have the very first message and God preaches it. Now, just hold on. We'll get there. But since that moment, we have had the patriarchal church, which is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, understand, they were a church. But their representative of the church was that they were a family church. They all had the same message. They all had the same job. They all had the same criteria, but they were a family church. We call it the patriarch. That Abraham was given a word by God, and Abraham held on to that word, and it was accounted to him as faith. This is the patriarchal way church worked. There was no laws, there was no no buildings, there was no, it was simply God spoke, and when God spoke, they held on to it. Then we go to the next church, which is the Mosaic period. We understand that when that became a national church. That church wasn't family-oriented anymore. That church, its whole nation was built on church. The whole nation was built on church. And I'll come back through these. Finally, we get to the New Testament church, and the New Testament church explodes in what I just told you. We are a universal church now. We are not a national church. We are not Jewish. We are, we are, we are not patriarchal. We're not Abraham, but we encompass all of those, and we become the universal church now, the church of God into this world today, that by the invisible Spirit of God, the power of God, we reach everybody from one end to the other. Now, let me show you how this started. Go with me to Psalms, Psalms 115. Let me build this. Now, I know I've thrown some information, so now let me see if I can unpack it. Is that okay? Look at the person beside you and say, please. Understand. Psalms 115, verses 13 through 18 says this. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase and you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made what? Heaven and who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the children of man. This is important. God said, I created it all. I own it all. But I have distinguished and decided that I will give man dominion over the earth that I have made. The heavens are the Lord's, but, but he has given it to man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever praise the Lord. This is the voice of the church. This is what he's talking about. He's trying to explain how this thing works. Go with me to Psalms 24, 1 through 2. Verses Psalms 24, 1 and 2. Here's what it says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. 
For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Go to Psalms 89 and 11. Psalms 89 and 11 says this, The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 26. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness... You getting, the, you getting the drift? Go with me to Revelations 14 and 7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. He goes on to talk about that the earth is his. The bride of, of those that are going to inherit the earth. That's why he talks about it in this. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because it's his. He founded it. He built it. This is important. Listen to me very carefully. Until you establish the understanding that you do not own, that you are simply the manager of what God has given you, from what you have to what you drive to what you live in to your very life, to your body, to every part of you. Until you realize this, you can't operate inside the church setting. That's why there's so many dysfunctional churches. Because people are picking and choosing what they're willing to give God or not give God and how much they're willing to give. And, and, and they bring embarrassment on the church because, well, I go to church, but it's my body. I can sleep with who I want with. No, well, no, you can't. Because the first understanding of being part of his church, his universal church, to believe in the church, to believe in God, is to understand that you do not own anything. You can't, you can't go any further in your life, and it will create within you chaos if you don't. Because when your child gets sick, my child is sick. No, it's God's child that he gave to you on loan. My car broke down. No, it's God's car. How many of you own a house? Raise your hand if you own a house. You're lying. Don't none of you own any of it. I just told you. I just told you you don't own anything. First thing I ask, who owns a house? And you threw your hand. That's how quick. That's how quick. I can sit here and preach five minutes straight and then ask you the simple question. What do you own? Oh, I own this. I own that. No, you don't. You don't even own your next breath. You don't own tomorrow. We just get it in our head because we're managing it and everything seems to be going good that it must be ours. I can do what I want. It must be, it must be good. Nothing's happened yet. And this craziness of thinking this way puts you in a problem because when things start getting taken away or times change or things fall apart or things go, then we get upset because our stuff And I have to guard myself all the time. I have to, I'll say things like, my church. But when I say it, I don't mean it maybe how you're taking it. There's nothing that I own. 
I realize I'm five or 10 years from somebody stepping in here, replacing me and keeping this thing rolling and going. There's nothing I own. When I say mine, I understand that I am a manager of this at the moment, that I'm responsible for this at the moment. I'm responsible to be faithful. I'm responsible to to uphold. I'm responsible to be a good representative. I'm responsible. And so I take that mindset that it's my responsibility Do you have the understanding that it's your responsibility? I told you in Genesis 3, but I need to build this thing to Genesis 3. Let me explain how we get here in the church. God needed a management, and when he chose management, he chose mankind. Mankind is who he chose to be his man. But understand this, from the beginning, it wasn't that way. The first management crew that he had was an angel that we call Lucifer. Lucifer was part of the management crew. They lived outside of time. There was no sun or moon or stars. There was no time. And in this realm, Satan was the manager until he decided, I'm tired of managing it. I want to own it. I'm going to take, as he talked, a third of the angels into ascending to heaven to push God off to the side a little bit and say, we're going to take a little bit of this property and we're going to take a little bit of this and call it our own. And Jesus says, go with me to Luke 10 and 18. Jesus says, I saw the whole situation. Lucifer was head manager over the company. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like like lightning from heaven. I saw Lucifer when he tried to ascend, and I'm telling you, God the Father did not take kindly. And he cast him and a third of the angels down. And where did they land? Third rock from the sun. Boom. And God is sitting there in eternity. There is no sun. There is no moon. There is no stars. God is sitting in eternity. Satan is in darkness down on what we would call later earth. He is sitting in this vast, nothing of a swamp of a messed up place. Because the Bible says that when God looked over the deep, it was, it was just half earth, half dirt, half this. It was a mess. It was a swamp with no light, with no life, with no anything. That's where Satan had done hit the ground. Boom. Until God looked over and said, you know, I think I'm going to reclaim that property. Huh? And a meeting in heaven took place. And we hear about this in Ephesians before the foundations of the earth that God had already determined how he would redeem and how he would retake this earth. God says, I already have it planned out. I'm going to retake and reform for my glory. And so God steps out and speaks 
And you can imagine Satan when he's sitting there in the middle of this nothing, in the middle of this swamp, in the darkness, and all of a sudden light shows up. Because the only light he knows is the light of God. But all of a sudden, God has done spoke a sun into in existence. God has done spoke the moon into existence. And now there's day, and then there's night. And then Satan is standing there watching all of a sudden how the land comes up, and it becomes land, and the ocean comes, and there's rivers, and God separates the ground from the water. And Satan is like, what in the world is going on? And he's on this earth, and he has no power or authority, but yet here he is watching all of this, and birds start to fly in the air and animals start coming out and he's like my goodness what is going on I don't understand all of this and then finally he throws down the greatest gauntlet on him on the sixth day he said now I'm going to build my management crew and while Satan is watching he forms mankind from the dirt and breathes life into him And says, now you, you are my new management crew. Go with me to Psalms 8. I'll show it to you. Psalms 8, verses 3 through 9. Here's what the Bible says. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You made us a little lower in our constitution. We, we can't disappear. We can't, we can't float around like Lucifer. We, we, can't, we can't do like demonic spirits. We can't, we can't do the things that they do. We're, we're made a little lower in our constitution, we are bound by this clay suit that we're stuck in. You made us and bound us a little lower than the beings that you had. But listen, and then you crowned him with glory and you gave him the job that the fallen angel had. And said, I'm going to put you on the earth with him. I'm going to put you right there beside him to rub his nose in the fact that I dismantled him and I gave it to a lowly thing like you and I crowned you with glory and gave him his job. Do you realize why Satan wants to destroy you so bad? He hates everything about you. In fact, God even took it another step further when in the beginning, when he formed man, he said, let us make man in our image. So every time Satan looks at you, he sees God. He sees a reflection of God. That's what he hates. That's what he's disturbed by. That's why he bothers you at night. That's why he tries to have these conversations and mess up your world. Because you are taking the position that he once had and God has given it to you as dominion. You've given dominion over the works of your hands. You've put things, well, not put things, put all things under his feet. All the sheep and the oxen, all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along passeth of the seas. Oh, 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's, that's the, the criteria of a steward. The definition of a steward is simply this. It is someone who protects and expands the assets of another. It is someone who protects and expands the assets of someone else. It is not yours. You do not possess it. But you're managing it. You, you, can't, you can't have it. And so God created this and designed this and gave you everything that you need to accomplish what you were meant to accomplish. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Who created penicillin? Anybody remember? Who? Pasteur. But if you read Pasteur, he was a Christian. Pasteur would be the first one to tell you, I didn't create anything. All the minerals and all the substance was already, all I did was put it, let me explain. There is not one drop of water that has ever been put on the earth by God that's ever left the earth. It's still here. There's not one mineral. There's not one. You haven't, everything you have down to your medicine, down to the car, everything you have has already been prepackaged for you. You are just unpacking what God has already given. That's the part that disturbs man is because man wants to say, I created. Like Satan wants to say, I created. But Satan can't create. He can only work with, manipulate what God has given him. And man on the same scale works the same way. We are simply working with the materials that God has given us to be able to accomplish all that God wants us to accomplish. Now, now here's the problem. In this, he gave you free will. So is marijuana good or bad? And some idiot will say, God created it. But he didn't plan for stupid like you to be the one running it. And I know that's a harsh word, but I don't know of a better word. My dad used to say, you can help ignorant, but son, someone like that, you can't do nothing for. And we have people that look at things, well, if God hadn't given it to us, oh, God gave you the barley, God gave you this, God gave you the wheat, God, but he didn't tell you to boil it all together and make something that would cause you to have a car wreck. You did that. See, dominion means that God has given you all the material to manage his world well. But he's also given you free will to destroy it if you desire. 
Let me show it to you. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 4 and 7. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not? Tell me something you got that wasn't given to you. Nothing. You possess nothing. You control nothing. But yet God within that realm of saying, I've given you everything that pertains to godliness, everything that you could want to do, you get to choose what you do with it. You get to choose whether you will abuse it or use it for good. Now let me show you how the church began. Go with me to Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. I'll show you how the church began. The church is a called out group designed to show and to speak forth what God has given it. That's why we get in trouble. If we talk about marijuana, okay? Nothing wrong with marijuana. If there's someone dying of cancer and it is a, a way, an opioid that could, could reduce pain for the last few hours or do certain things, if there's certain, then wonderful. Put it in the hands of good doctors and, and, and use it as it's prescribed as necessary. I can't argue with that. But if everybody shows up at the Apple Tree Hotel next week because the doctor's down there signing prescriptions for whoever walks in that says, I got a bad leg and I got a bad arm. Oh, let me give you a prescription. You need to go down and get you some. Then we got a problem. Am I making sense? In other words, God works from this capacity, and he has from the very beginning. Because what you would say, if God didn't want me to do it, then why do you even make it? That's, that's what people will say. Because God wants you to choose which person you will listen to. So the next Friday night when they ask you to go out and get drunk, you get to choose whether you want to get in the car or not. Don't blame it on your feelings. Don't blame it on, oh, I had a bad moment. No, 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 you made a choice. Don't blame people for everything that you keep doing. No, you're the manager. You get to manage your life. You get to manage, and if you grow, you will understand that we do that in the context of church. Because the church is a group that's been brought together to herald what God has said. So people will say, Pastor Law, you're stepping on my toes. No, I'm just heralding what God has said. Now, whether you'll do anything about it or not, I don't know. I lose way too much sleep worried about stuff that most of you don't even worry about in your lives. I'm trying to learn not to. My doctors tell me, Tim, you got to quit stressing over everybody else. You can't fix everybody. You can't. I'm like, but that's what I, I want to see their lives better. I want, and I'm, I'm trying, and I preach, and I study, and I do. And, and man, what I want more than anything is for them to be happy and safe. But you can't decide for them. 
And it's hard. I can't imagine how God looks down and thinks, Ugh. Man. All right, go ahead and do it. We'll work about this later. Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. Understand, this is the context. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. So he said, you're my new management group. I've given you dominion over everything. And I built you a a place where you can hang out. Built your own little, little area. That's awesome. Man, God's blessed me. He took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to... Because he's what? Management. His job is to, is to take care of what God likes to see. Let me see if I can explain it this way. All throughout the first chapter, God keeps creating things. And every time he creates something, what does he always say at the end? And it was good. Man, that's good. That's good stuff. And then he creates something else and he says, that's good. That's really good. Then he gets to the end when he's created everything and he sits down and he says, now that, that is great. That is something else. That's what I want it to look like. So I used to have a manager learning the grocery business. This is how I learned this. In the grocery business at 8 o'clock, if we work night shifts, at 8 o'clock, Every morning, the manager would walk in. He would walk through the produce. Mm, that, that needs to be straightened up. There ain't enough ice on that. You need to redo that. He would walk down Delhi. He would walk down to every department. He would walk down every aisle to see if the cans were all turned just correct. Now, you would think to yourself, but in 10 minutes when people come in here, they're going to destroy everything. doesn't matter. Every day, our job is to make it look as good as it can be when we start the day. And I used to sit there thinking about that in front, and I'm like, man, it don't really matter if we do this, do that. And God was like, this is me, Tim. Every day when you get up, you crucify your flesh. Every day when you get up, you decide to put me on the throne and not you. Every day when you rise, you decide to turn all the labels to the front. You decide to tell the truth and not lie. You decide to be the man you're supposed to be, the woman you're supposed to be. You decide every day, even though even though you know the world's going to come along and knock it out on kilter and, and break some stuff and bust some stuff, it's okay, it's all right, because the manager has already walked through it that day and said, it looks good. Man, that looks good. Do you know what God did every day with Adam? In the cool of the evening of every day, God would come down and do what? Walk with him. Adam, man, I'm telling you, the way you got that tree pruned, I'm telling you, that looks, that's just the way I like it, son. That's just the way I like it. He talked with him every afternoon in the coup. And why was he talking about? He was talking about Adam who was having his job to keep the garden, to keep cultivating, to make it look good. 
Y'all ever see this in, the, in Genesis? Y'all ever think about it? This is what he's doing. He's walking in the cool. Man, I tell you, oh, oh Adam, that makes my heart jump right there, son. And, and every day he would tell him, does God and you have that conversation every afternoon, every cool of the evening? Do you get home and you're tired and you're like, oh, man, I have been plowing. I have been doing. It's been a tough day. But I get along with God and God comes down and all of a sudden he looks at me and says, Tim, man, I'm telling you, man, you did it today. I don't know, Lord. I feel like I don't know if I got it all. Oh, that looks awesome. I'm telling you, Tim, you are, you are the bomb. I, 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 I can use you, man, like you, Tim. I'm, and I'm like, okay, all right. I ain't doing so bad. That's the way your relationship works. But... And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But right smack in the middle. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. We'll just say it's an internet tree. Because on the internet, you can find out anything you want. It's, it's the knowledge of good, the evil. We'll call it the internet tree. Let's see what Siri says about this. And he says, you can't go to the internet. And you better not be talking to Siri about what I've already done told you is right. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you're going to die. The day you eat of it, in the middle of all of these blessings, in the middle of all that he's given me, he's also given me free will to choose. Because here's why. God wants you. Some of you need to write this down because this is something you're going to have to wrestle with the rest of this week. God wants you to live by revelation and not reason or information. You watch Fox News long enough and you'll start reasoning. You start watching them people arguing on Yahoo and having debates and all this kind of stuff and you'll get to where you reason. You hang out the wrong lunch table and keep talking and you'll start reasoning what's right and wrong. God says, I don't want our relationship to be built on reason. I want it to be built on revelation because you understand who owns it. Me. The one that's trying to reason with you don't own nothing. That professor that's trying to tell you how the world began wasn't there. He don't have no Polaroids of it. I'm God. I'll tell you how it happened. Let my word be truth and let every man be a liar. To be in my management agency, you're going to have to live this way. And, and, and let me just explain this to some of these young guys who, who aren't married yet and, and, and something I learned when I was young. He didn't give this to Adam when he had a wife. I'll give you the best wife information you'll ever have. I'll give you the best relationship. 
forget about one, and put your stinking, messed up mind on God and what his gifts are to you and what you can be and what you can become and become a cultivator of what he's given. If you can't take care of the garden now, then you don't need a wife later. Way before Elise came along, I was already evangelizing, already working a job, already had plans. Whether she showed up or not, I was already going to be a pastor lot. When she showed up, I just let her know and informed her, here's where we're headed. You can tag along if you want to. But I'm not mixing my life up with yours. <gasps> let me tell you what happened if you do that. If you ain't good at cultivating and you ain't got it right, then when God does bring you that woman, she's liable to get you to eat something you shouldn't eat. She's liable to get you to buy something you really didn't need to buy. Driving something you can't afford, but she likes it. Well, baby likes it. I guess I'll just get another job and pay for it. No, you should have told her, no, you're driving that old thing right there. Because that's what, that's what I can afford, and that's what we're going to get. But if we haven't learned our ability to cultivate and be who God's called us to be, then we're not going to be good when pressure comes into our life. He said, Adam, here's what I want you to learn. I want you to learn how to work around this tree and not touch this tree. I want you to walk by this tree every day and look at that thing, and that thing's got good fruit on it, and you're thinking, can't have that. The boss says, I can't have that. The boss says, the boss is the boss. The boss is the boss. And so Adam is supposed to learn this. Does he learn it? God gives him a woman. Woohoo! Got me woman. Next story we read. What he was the manager of, he now has given it away to Satan. Satan will later look at Jesus and he will tell him, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. The only reason he could say that is because he wasn't lying. He was telling him the truth. And Jesus knew bowing down to you won't buy it back. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve only God. It's the only one I can serve. If Adam had understood that, he would have been able to overcome and been the manager. But Adam decided to go to the internet tree. And he found out he was not as smart as he thought. Go with me to Genesis. I've got to close this. Genesis 3, verses 8 through 11. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the, what was God coming to do? Come to give some more information. It's church time. Time to go to church. I don't feel like going to church today. What's wrong with you? I don't know. I just don't feel good. Huh? What's wrong with you? Man, it's the Lord's day. It's the day to be glad. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know. I just ain't, I just ain't felt it lately. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Oh, but everybody else says it wouldn't hurt. The internet tree says it don't, it don't really cause that much problems. You can get over it. Skip down with me to verse 15 and 16. The very first message ever preached in the church. Look at the person beside you and say, the very first message ever preached in the church. God preached it. God said, let me go ahead and preach the first message in the church. And it goes like this, Satan, you're laughing right now, but you listen to me. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He didn't say the man. It's from the woman's seed. He shall bruise your head one day and you will bite his heel. You will inflict pain and punishment, but he will kill you. He will take you out. That was the first message ever preached in the church. That message ran all the way through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He tells Abraham, Abraham... I've tried to keep my church together. I had to wipe out the whole earth except for one family that was left in the church, Noah. Then I started over and, it, and the world's going bad again. So I had to pick one family out of the church, out of the world to create my church. And I chose you, Abraham. And I'm going to go ahead and promise you, Abraham, that through your seed and through your bloodline, through who you are, I'm going to bring the Messiah. I'm going to bring the cho- I'm going to bring the one. You are going to be blessed and you will be the father of many nations, Abraham, because of what I'm going to do. He preached that message until finally Moses came. God says, let me put some parameters here around this church, some understanding. And through the Mosaic period, we have the teachings, we have the prophets, we have prophecies of what the Messiah will look like, we have all of this, but it's still the same message that the Messiah is coming, that the Messiah is coming, that the Messiah is coming, and then the new church of today, when Jesus came, lived, died, and did exactly what he said, Satan bruised his heel. But Jesus crushed his head. 
And he took back what once was lost. You once were not free. You once, no matter how much you wanted to be, were always in bondage. But because Jesus has died and rose and given you, he has given you back your freedom. No longer can you say, well, I can't help myself. Oh, yes, you can. I, I, I can't. Oh, yes, you can. He's done told you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He's already told you, I've already conquered the world. I've already conquered and overcame it. The same spirit that was in me is in you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Don't tell me what you can't do. Look at the person beside you and say, you're part of the management team. And the new management team shares the gospel. The new management team tells the world. The new management team, our orders are to go and tell the world that Jesus has come. During Passion, this last, where the, where the college and career came, and all them guys went, one of the things they did was they, they took up an offering of millions of dollars for, for creating Bibles of a certain language and doing that so they could send them out. Why? Because that's part of all that our mission is. The church has a job. The church has cultivation to do. The church has a mission. The church is supposed to win the person that sits next to you in school. The church is supposed to win the person that sits next to you at work. The church is supposed to win the person that is in your family. The church is supposed the church is the most powerful thing in the world and it's meant to overcome the world. It's meant to propagate to the world. That's why the world still hates it because it's chosen that I can eat from every tree and the church comes by and says oh no I have freedom but not freedom to do what I want to do but to do what the manager the boss the owner says that is our message will you stand so the first question We've answered, or we have to answer, is do you believe? Next week I'll be talking about believing in further detail as far as belonging to the local church, to a local mission. But the first question is not, are you a member of the all season? That's not the question. I don't care if you're Baptist or Methodist. That's not the question. The first question that has to be answered. Are you part of the universal church? That the Father Himself who owns all has said that I've given to my Son everything. Jesus said, all power has been given unto me. The question is this morning, am I still eating from the trees, living the life that I shouldn't? Or have I accepted the fact that God owns it all 
And by accepting Jesus, I become part of the body of the management team. And that my goal in life is to take as many people from this world to the next that I can. Why, Brother Lot? Because you can't take one thing from this world to there. This was never meant for you to own. You just manage it. The only thing you will ever send to the next world will be how faithful you were to the management of God. Paul said, The sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in me. He said, I am laying up my treasures where rust, moth cannot. Paul understood. I can't own anything here. I can only believe what God has laid down from Genesis all the way to now. He is the owner. I am a manager. And I want to be faithful to the manager. That's the first step of the church. Faithful in our actions, faithful in our words, faithful in our deeds. If you're in this place this morning, you say, Pastor, I've never saw it like that. I just, I just needed Jesus to save me. No. No, you were bought with a price. You are not your own. And you can't start living until you first realize, I don't own anything. You will always be afraid of death. Afraid of missing out. Afraid of not getting what you think you need. You will always compromise. You will always keep taking shortcuts to try to get what you think you deserve now. Because you think you own it. But if you'll settle the fact that I don't own. But I work for the manager, the owner. And I'm a manager of all the stuff that he puts into my life. Then you're ready to start. You're in this room today and you say, I need to do that. Then do it right now. How do I do that, brother? Lott? Just say, Lord, I don't own anything. Not even my own body. It all belongs to you. I ask you to forgive me. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, save me from my failures, from my bad choices. And from this moment on, let your spirit come into my life. Let him reside in my heart and what he speaks, I will do. I will be an obedient servant, faithful. I will follow you. Not reason, not the extra information, but whatever thus saith the Lord, that I will trust in. Thank you for redeeming me saving me, and putting me on your team, in your family. For Jesus' sake, amen. It makes all the difference. Well, that's the first point in my message. We'll get the second point next week. Can't wait. God bless you.